everybody. I'd like to welcome you to Bills and Sunberg's interview series, Old Structures, New Purpose, The Practice of Adaptive Reuse. In this series, we'll explore the salient and timely topic of the business and legal perspective on adaptive reuse projects. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Anthony DeYuri, partner in Bills and Sunberg's Land Development and Government Relations Practice Group on a very important neighborhood in our community, Coral Gables. Thank you, Anthony, for joining us today. As I said, Coral Gables, an interesting community and one of the oldest areas of our county, it's no stranger to adaptive reuse. And so thank you for joining us today, Anthony, to talk about uh, this area and projects that you're involved in. My absolute pleasure. Coral Gables is a city that I call home. Uh, I uh, grew up there. I am an adjunct professor at the University of Miami. I'm a board member of the University of Miami Law School uh, Real Estate LLM. Um, and so I, I really am, I, I have a lot of ties to the community, and so I really enjoy practicing in that specific jurisdiction. So the dramatic growth of Miami-Dade County is, uh, is something that we've seen in a variety of different communities, including Coral Gables. Can you tell us a little bit about how adaptive reuse projects play a role in Coral Gables? Uh, absolutely. Uh, you know, Coral Gables is no stranger to development. Uh, Coral Gables actually has more office square footage than Brickell does, uh, which is incredible when you think about that. Um, so over many de decades and decades of development, again, the city was founded by a developer, George Merrick, there have been many instances of redevelopment and reimagination of the city. Certain components of the central business district still exist today as they did in the city's founding, but there are many instances of this going on um, currently in the city. And the city is structured in many ways to uh, allow redevelopment of existing structures within their um, approval process. They have a board of architects, they have a historic preservation board, and they have an, um, a particular bonus that you can earn in the city, which is the Mediterranean bonus. And so ultimately all these different components come together to create, I would say, a, a model scenario to allow for um, redevelopment of existing structures and use of the existing structures. And then new structures that are created or added to them still maintain the same historic feel through the Mediterranean bonus, which essentially lets you get certain height and density and intensity units or square footage bonuses. Um, if you architecturally um, uh, are inspired and have the different components of the original Mediterranean design of the city of Coral Gables. So you mentioned George Merrick and, and some historic uh, aspects. Is that something that's unique to the Gables and how does uh, historic preservation play into adaptive reuse um, specifically? So uh, the historic preservation is not unique specifically to Coral Gables. Almost every jurisdiction has some review from a historic uh, component, but Coral Gables itself has many different instances of um, original Mediterranean design, uh, Mediterranean revival that tried to emulate it um, in the 1980s. And the city saw a need to create something that was more true to the original uh, Mediterranean design of George Merrick. And this process has gone on um, through different um, versions of the, the zoning code. And now most recently referencing specific examples like in the code, such as the Biltmore Hotel, uh, the Colonnade Hotel, City Hall itself. And so uh, when new projects are brought to the city, we try to 
to tie in a lot of the architectural themes. The colonnades, for example, are, are very unique to the Mediterranean design. Um, and the different facades that go back to the Mediterranean design. We try to tie them all together in a newer project, but hearkening back to the uh, Mediterranean design bonuses. Ultimately, what this allows to do is, whether you have an adaptive reuse of an existing older structure um, or a brand new structure, you're still creating that same unifying theme of the, the Mediterranean architecture. So what are some of the ongoing adaptive reuse projects in the Gables that would, would provide some helpful lessons for developers as they, as they process applications? Sure. Uh, <clears throat> one of the favorite ones that I have that, that I got to work on for a client of mine was 120 Geralda, uh, which was the old Church of Scientology. It was the Church of Scientology for decades and decades and decades. And prior to that, when we pulled the county records, it was actually an office for Dow Chemicals way back in the 1950s. I mean, you should see the, the photographs. Of the, it's like a time warp with a Dow Chemicals sign outside. You'd think it was a, a, a tourist picture from somewhere in Cuba with the 1950 vehicles. Um, so that particular uh, project was also unique because it also involved the city closing off Geralda and making it a strictly pedestrian thoroughfare. It was originally referred to as uh, Restaurant Row, and then in uh, the hopes, and which has become a success uh, ultimately, uh, continuing to foster the restaurant and F&B space there, they closed the street and made it exclusively pedestrian. So our clients bought the Church of Scientology, which, uh, which, in, which is unique in Coral Gables because they had a significant amount of, of storefront, um, which, which uh, was probably at least 100 feet, and they also had a nice uh, clear height inside. So what, what retailers or food and beverage um, occupant tenants are looking for is a certain uh, spec of size in terms of store frontage, height, square footage. And so when they came to me, we looked at that first and I said, okay, you're still under just a, an LOI. You still don't have to buy this piece of property. But let's go look at it and look what the specs are because it's going to be determinative of whether or not a, a tenant that you think you can rent to will actually be interested in the space. And that kind of just as an aside, I love doing that part of the business. I love to get understanding what the business goal of the client is so we can marry it with what we're trying to accomplish on the legal end as opposed to kind of being there with blinders on. Um, and so we had the discussion. We went in there and they went in the next day and they, they blew out the uh, drop ceiling and they had almost 20 foot clear height, which was phenomenal. And so ultimately we went in there and told the city, we wanna create separate bays. We wanna come in with food and beverage concepts in here. And we also wanna activate the rooftop because we were overlooking the uh, pedestrian Geralda area. So you can imagine you're taking something that's been there for decades and decades and decades. And there was a church of Scientology, which is a unique wrinkle. Is that a religious facility? Was it really an office building? We had to go and jump through a lot of those hoops. How does that really factor in for the client impact fees? Redevelopment of existing spaces, as you very well know, um, in dealing with it in, in many instances, you take a warehouse, you make it a restaurant, or you take an office space and you make it some other food and beverage concept. Now you have to go from, you know, you probably paid $10 a square foot for road impact fees, and you're going up now to $60. $70 in some instances. And if you have a 10,000 square foot bay, 
at six figures. It'll get into seven figures very quickly. And so we had to figure out, go back into the history of it, and that's how we had those Dow Chemical pictures of the site, to figure out what the site was, how we can save money on these impact fees. And these are all little wrinkles of redevelopment and how you deal with existing properties. Secondly was the structure of the site. How do we accomplish what the client wants with the least, uh, least impact on terms of the construction budget? We figured out a way to go and activate the rooftop, put a rooftop lounge on the building. And so you can imagine we took that project that was a uh, decades old um, office or religious structure, figure out what it was in the 1950s and 40s to get credits for the impact fees, then deal with the structural components of it. And now it is a phenomenal success. It has become the heart of Geralda, AKA Restaurant Row. They have a Coyo Taco in there. They have, a, um, a, I think it's simpler spring greens, a phenomenal concept. They are doing a launch of the rooftop lounge and event space uh, in the coming weeks, along with new restaurants that are, that are coming into the space. So it really has become the, uh, the poster child in Coral Gables for a successful uh, adaptive reuse uh, of a particular space. So you've talked about some truly transformative uh, projects. Does the city of Coral Gables have a, a unique take or a unique spin on adaptive reuse um, as compared to perhaps other municipalities? Well, it's, what's unique to Coral Gables is also timing because they just passed a new zoning code. And this new zoning code in particular has a subsection that deals with Miracle Mile. Miracle Mile is the main thoroughfare of the city within the central business district. And what the new code allows on Miracle Mile is development of the particular sites without having to bring in a minimum parking requirement. Why is this, why is this significant? Because uh, as we discussed, when you take a use like office um, or warehouse, or a retail, what we call dry retail, um, uh, you know, selling clothes, and you make it a food and beverage concept, and you're getting a, a theme here, right? Adaptive reuse, mm -hmm. food and beverage. Um, it, you, you have an increase in a parking requirement because you need less spaces for a retail space than you do for a restaurant or a lounge or a bar. And so what the city recognized is said, they said, we wanna allow redevelopment of these sites uh, we want to allow different opportunities. We want to allow food and beverage. They saw the trend in food and beverage. And they said, how do we do that? How do, how do we accomplish that? And part of the restrictions were in parking. So now you don't have to park Miracle Mile if you redevelop these sites. Um, they also allow that for historic properties of a certain age. Uh, you can go and change the use within the, the building. And as long as you don't expand the floor area by a certain percentage, they will allow you to bring in a new use and not have a, a parking requirement increase. That is um, something that would apply citywide. And that's something actually we did in a couple of, we've done in a couple of different instances where again, you look at your existing square footage, we wanna just change the use on the inside. We're gonna go from dry retail to restaurant perhaps. All right, as long as that building's been there um, from X date, and you're not expanding the square footage, we're not gonna require you to have a parking uh, requirement increase. And then now in Miracle Mile, across the board on Miracle Mile, they now allow you to redevelop the sites without having a minimum parking requirement. So that's, that's probably one of the other big considerations you have to take into account as you change the use and adaptive reuse of these sites, how does that impact, how does parking impact that? And, and that's the approach that Gables have taken uh, on that particular issue. 
So what do you think is on the horizon uh, for Coral Gables development within this space? I would say that with the advent of the new zoning code, what you're going to see is an opportunity for more uh, mixed-use development. Uh, the code was streamlined to reduce the number of steps that you need to have a mixed-use project uh, approved. As I said, the city has more office square footage than Brickell does. So in terms of traffic and increase in the pedestrian activity within the central business district, what you need now are, are residences and then the ground floor retail to go along with those residences. You don't necessarily need as much office. And so the city recognized that and passed the new zoning code so they can streamline the process to create more opportunities for mixed-use development. Ultimately, the goal, is, the goal is, excuse me, now we have these millions and millions of square feet of office. We don't have that much residential uh, within the CBD. So with the increase of this residential, we're going to create this work-live-play atmosphere within a very walkable distance within the CBD. I also think the opportunities will be within the public-private uh, P3 space with the city, where the city has a number of um, properties that need updating, they need infrastructure, but given COVID in particular and constraints on budget, it's not like they're necessarily clamoring to go spend all this money. The city of Coral Gables has a triple, a triple, AAA bond rating, and they are uh, very proud of that. And so I think it will, it, we're looking for opportunities now where they can look at the private sector, not sacrifice their bond rating, understand that their revenues will come back eventually, but look to the private sector to help them redevelop some of the infrastructure they have, uh, older parking garages, perhaps, uh, older surface lots, perhaps. Those are opportunities where uh, private, the private side is interested in pipeline uh, to develop new projects and, or maybe redevelop an in infrastructure that was existing there and provide something new for the city, but without the taxpayers having to foot the entire bill. Anthony, thank you very much for joining us today. We covered a lot of territory today on Coral Gables and adaptive reuse projects, and we look forward to the next episode, Old Structures, New Purpose, Mastering the Practice of Adaptive Reuse.